Good morning, Saints of Chapel Hill. How are we doing? Good morning, good morning. All right. So maybe after the game, we'll go and just evangelize. Anybody up front? You know? Stand where all the cars are. Um, good morning and welcome. And welcome to anybody who's visiting this morning. If you need a Bible, I just want to let you know, underneath that little stand there where there's a little box, there are Bibles. So if you need one, go grab one so you can follow along. I know there's apps and you can use your phone, but I'm old school. I like just the solid book, so get the book and dig in. Uh, but if you need one, please get one. And before we delve in, let's just take a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the time of worship, Lord, to just sing out to you, the God of creation. Thank you for this time now where we get to dig into your word, Lord. And I just pray, Heavenly Father, Holy Spirit, please be present right now and help for the distractions to not come in. Help for people to be able to just focus solely on you right now and your word, Lord God. The world moves so quickly. We can get so stuck on what we need to be doing or what's coming up. Lord, just help us to stop, be still, know that you're God, and just focus on you for this time, for right now, Heavenly Father. So thank you for it, Lord, and we just give this time to you. Teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last week, we began the Gospel of John, and we delved into the first five verses of the book. And we saw last week that this Gospel clearly points to the deity of of Christ, especially as we look at that very first verse that starts the whole thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In it, we were able to see the pre-existence of Christ before all time, and that showed us the gift and the sacrifice that took place when he came to take on flesh as man for you and me, and we're going to study that today. Now, the charge last week when we left was for everyone to ponder and go back to your heart of in the beginning, your heart of where you met Jesus and realized he is and realized who you were, depraved without him, and came to that point of salvation. So the question, did you take time to actually do that? Did you take the time this last week to do that? Now, as we go through the Gospel of John, as we go through the book of Psalms on Wednesdays, I am going to encourage you to weave together the scripture God's putting before you for this season of your life. There's a reason for each and every single one of us. He's got us in John. He's got us in Psalms. Whatever he has you in independently. And I encourage you, don't just read, study, ponder the verses while you're here, take notes, and then when you go, you just keep going about your week and you keep doing everything that you've been doing. No, go back to the notes you took. Go back to the verses that we've done. Study them. Pray them. Talk about the message as a family. Talk about the message as a couple. Men, we have a charge to water God's daughters with the word. Bring these verses that we study to your bride. Bring them to your family during the week. Home groups, review the message. Review the charge. Discuss it. Keep the word at the center. Keep the word at the center. That's how we do what that Church of Philadelphia, the first message of this month, we keep the word of God and we don't deny his name. We have to keep bringing it back. So if you didn't do that, go back and ponder you're in the beginning with the Lord this week and this time ahead and ask yourself, do I have that same fire and hunger for him and his word alone as when I first met him? Last week's message was entitled, He Is, and my prayer is that we all get to a place where we're able to just say, He is my all. He is all I need, and mean it. 
not he is my all. And then you're like, but I really want that new thing, or I really want this, or I really want that, or I really want to make this happen. It's just enough for him, his word, his spirit, his way. So today, we're going to continue onward in the book of John. That was your, as I said on Wednesday night, we'll have little homework checks. That was your homework check. Don't worry, you're not graded. That's, it's just to, to check in, are you making sure that you're going back? So stand with me as we read chapter 1, and we're going to do verses 6 to 18. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. Heavenly Father, thank you for these words. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for grace. Thank you for truth. Holy Spirit, fill me that I am able to get out of the way and that the words that come out of my mouth are what are needed for your people, for your sheep, Lord, for them to know you deeper, for them to come to salvation, for them to come to repentance, to be closer to who you need them to be for your glory, Lord. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. We get the introduction of John the Baptist. Now, in the other Gospels, we learn a little bit more about John's history and backstory. Youth will remember Mark 1.6. We learn, now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. Interesting dude, simple, humble. Let's not all try to emulate that wardrobe. But he was called by God, and he focused on living the calling that God gave him. John the Baptist had a ministry that was successful in calling sinners to repent and prepare themselves for the one that was greater than he, the one that is mightier than he, the one that would give eternal life, Jesus. And we see John in verse 7 that he was sent by God. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. So his sending from God was for what? To bear a witness of the light that all may and would believe. Now notice, John here is called a witness. And witness, John wasn't just giving some random or emotional experience or just, I'm giving you this, now come, do this thing. No, he's giving reality. The Messiah's coming. 
His message was focused solely on the Messiah to come. His message was focused solely on Christ alone. The title of today's message is Speak of Him. Now, when we speak of Him, when you share of Christ, do you share the gospel or do you share a book written about the gospel? Are you pointing people to believe in Christ alone? That's the charge that he had, and that's the charge that he kept. Verse 8, he was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, John makes it clear that John the Baptist was not the light. He was not. He was solely there to bear witness of the light. And the idea of bearing witness would be very important because in Old Testament, within the Old Testament, whenever land sales were going to happen, there would have to be witnesses there. They would come, uh, middle schoolers, if there's any of you in here, and, and Ruth, you gave us that beautiful cartoon that showed us the witnesses that had to come for that transaction, the witnesses that have to come forth. In the Old Testament, when they were trying to find someone guilty, there needed to be witnesses that would come forth on behalf of that. Marriages in Scripture, in Old Testament, in life, there needs to be witnesses. A witness establishes the truth and gives ground for faith in the truth. A witness commits a man as it commits them to their testimony. They're committed to that. John the Baptist was a witness of Messiah to come, committed to the truth of who Messiah would be and what Messiah would do for all. In these verses, we see also comparisons with John the Baptist and Jesus Christ Messiah. John was sent by God. Jesus is God. John bears witness of the light. Jesus is the light. This is a valuable lesson in our me, me, me culture. Do the people that you look to, the people that we look to, to learn about God, Exalt King Jesus or exalt themselves? Do they say, I'm not the light, let me point you to this, or are they pointing really you to them? Is that Christian author or speaker you're admiring pointing to self or pointing to the light, Jesus Christ? John came as a witness to do that and just that. John the Baptist, we're going to see, he's a central figure in all four of the Gospels. He comes speaking of Jesus to come, and he's the first prophet since Malachi. He acts as the bridge of the Old and New Covenants, figuratively fulfilling Malachi 4.5. It's fulfilled through Elijah, Revelation, we can go there later. Figuratively, he's fulfilling that. And John the Baptist was called to prepare the way, and that he did. Another reminder for us in our me-centric culture, we need to continually remind ourselves, it's not about me, it's about him. It's all about him. Speak of him, not self. Speak of his coming. Speak of his goodness. Speak of him. Point people to the one that's going to be returning for his bride. Point people to the blessed hope of King Jesus. John the Baptist bears witness. He testifies. He declares. He speaks of Jesus. And we have to do the same thing. The word witness is translated and used in this particular gospel 33 times as a verb, 19 times as a noun. 
That's a lot. And it's fitting. Because if we remember, the whole point of this gospel is to bring people to believe in who Jesus is. And John brings adequate witnesses to who Jesus Messiah is throughout this book. And we're going to see that. Now, the purpose of this light in verse 7 is stated. We see it. That all through him might believe. Now, this belief is not the casual belief that you can sometimes get. Oh, yeah, I believe there's a God. Oh, yeah, I, I believe that there's God. No, no, no. This is a belief that leads to surrender where we trust. We surrender. It's the trust that we studied in Psalm 2 this past Wednesday, juxtaposed with the rulers who seek to defy God. We got to see that trust. And that's a reminder to see how the Holy Spirit weaves together what you're studying. That's why I say, charge, don't take for granted the scripture the Lord is putting in front of you. And my PSA announcement, come out for Wednesday service if you can. And if childcare is an issue, speak to me or Christina, we'll figure it out. Get here. Now, the word believe will prove prominent in this gospel also. A gospel that's about believe, clearly it's going to prove prominent. You're going to see the word believe in this gospel almost a hundred times. Almost a hundred times. He is the light, the true light, one truth. Verse 9. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Now see that John writes that John the Baptist bears witness to the light. Not just light. He bears witness to the true light. And that's an important word that we see. The true light. Because then and even now as it is, there's many lights that flicker. There's many lights that dimly shine that people follow that actually lead to destruction. It's important because in 2023, where we're in a culture of relative truth, we need to remember there's only one truth that comes from one true light, Jesus. Similarly, just because something has the tag Christian on it, doesn't necessarily mean it's biblically sound, saints. And I'm not trying to come for anything, but I'm just making sure we need to be prayerfully discerning. We can't just take things because, oh, it has Christian on it. It must be something I can run with. No, before you adopt something as truth let it, and let it shine on your mind, you need to prayerfully discern, is this grounded in Scripture or not? Is this taking Scripture in context or not? And we're going to see an example right with this verse where we see which gives light to every man coming into the world. That is a verse that will be taken by some and say, you don't have to do anything. Everybody's already saved. See, look, look what it says right there, which gives light to every man coming into the world. You came into the world, you're saved. You don't have to do anything. It's universalism. I was introduced to that same concept using that verse in my undergrad. And again, it's an example, scripture coming before saying that this is Christian, but it's taking the scripture out of context. The verses before are pointing to Christ's deity and the need for people to know him and to know that there's one true light, Jesus. Then shortly after this, we're going to see that to know Jesus, you have to be born again in Christ. And let's not forget what we learned last week, which is the ultimate proof of how that verse is to be taken. John 20, 31 But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life 
in his name. So now we take this idea of which gives light to every man coming into the world, and we're able to see by looking at it in the context that it's within with what's before, what's after, what's the big picture of the whole gospel, this is not universalism, but a reminder that the light's there for all to take, but they have to decide. And we see further in John 3, 19 to 21, if we go there, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Everyone will see the light. But the thing is, some will accept, some will reject. Why? The light exposes our sin. Ultimately, without truly knowing, without truly believing in Christ, that sin, we find it more fulfilling. We find the sin better than our king. But if we believe, he gives that light. He gives discernment. The light that Jesus gives is seen through the way he speaks throughout all of the Gospels. He gives spiritual truth throughout. We're going to see it in this gospel. But as he gives it, the darkness of the minds of the people that he puts that spiritual truth before does not allow them to see it. Instead, they see it as material or physical truth. Much like us before Christ, if we think about that. In John 2, 19 to 21, he speaks of the destruction of the temple, rebuilding it in three days. That's a spiritual truth of the temple of his body. But the darkness of their minds permits them only to see it as the physical temple that stands before them. In fact, they're going to use that against him to get him crucified. In John 3, 4, he speaks of a new birth that will be seen with confusion. John 3, 4. For how can one be born out of a mother's womb again? Spiritual truth, the darkness not allowing it to be seen. In John 4.11, 4.11, he speaks of the living water, which is him. Yet only the physical water of the well is seen and understood in that moment. In John 6.51, he says, eat the bread of his flesh. What? Eat? What are you saying? There's confusion there. Little, they can't understand the spiritual truth of what it means that's going to be given. That's us before Christ. That might be you sitting here who's here and is like, okay, I'm here. I don't really know what you're talking about, this Jesus thing. That's you, but you can come to know that truth. The spiritual truth is light. It is the light. Yet when darkness pervades the mind, it can't be seen. We talked last week about the city on the hill. That's this church. That's why we need to shine our light in a dark world. And the light that we shine is the word of God. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Here John reminds us he was in the world, and the world that he was in, he made it. We established that last week. He's the God of creation. Jesus is preexistent. He was there from the beginning. And when you think about that, what? So he creates the world, 
and the world doesn't know him? The world that he created doesn't know him? Think about that. It's the creator. He comes, and his creation says, who are you? They don't know him. Because sin, darkness, has one unable to recognize their own creator. And how much more true is that in our culture today? Think about our culture. We push evolution. We push secular humanism. And guess what? People don't even think there's a creator. So how can they then know the creator? Because they don't even think there's one to know. Culture today is immersed in darkness. We've got a fallen world that's forgetting creator God. And they're seeking healing. They're seeking all of these things, not knowing that the healing of their soul is only going to come from Jesus Christ. And they fill in things that feed the flesh and keep them farther away. He came to his own, and they did not perceive him. Now, who are his own? Think about it. These are the Jewish people of his own. They would have all of the prophecies of the Messiah to come, and they missed it. His own people miss it. How much more do we need to be aware? I, uh, we have a dog. We also have chickens now. And I'll tell you, the dog knows I'm the owner. Lumi knows I'm the owner. The chickens know. He got out the other day and one chicken was out and we thought he was going to eat the chicken. He didn't. But he knew when I came, I'm the master. Because I own him. And they don't know that Jesus is Messiah when he comes. In Isaiah 1.3, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not consider. They did not receive him. And if you don't receive, guess what? You reject. And the rejection has no race, no nation, or time. The reception of Christ also has no race, no nation, or time. Because guess what? The gospel of Christ is the great equalizer that puts us all as one human being depraved and needing a savior. Throughout this gospel, we're going to see that juxtaposition. Rejection versus reception. Rejecting Christ and his truth or receiving Christ and his truth, the only truth. Now, once again, we're back to the reality of the duality. The more we study John, the more we study Psalms, the more we study the word of God, the more it becomes apparent that there's no need for confusion. God's not the author of confusion. It's all clear and simple if we just go before the presence of our Lord and take his word as he gives it, not based on our emotions, not based on our fleshly desires, just as he gives it to us, and then strive to carry it on for his glory. Do the word as action in our lives. His word, his spirit, his way. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. But, notice that but. When you see a but in the Bible, there's often going to be a reminder of strength grace, and mercy of our God. Darkness is pervading, but God is on the throne, mightier indeed. As many as received, he gave them the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. Believing in his name to those who leave spiritual ignorance and are open to see the word of God 
to see Jesus as Messiah and receive. Now, this idea of receiving Christ can now cause a doctrinal mess, which we're not going to go down, and it can get debates and all these different things on how salvation works. How does it go? First thing we have to accept, receiving Jesus is biblically valid. We just read it. That's what I'm talking about, taking Scripture simply. That's it. Now, why? Well, we just read in the Word of God that it is. And what does it mean, receiving? We embrace and receive Jesus unto ourselves. What does that look like? An example, I come up to you after service. This isn't going to happen, so don't expect it. And say, I have a gift for you. I got this for you and your family for the summer. I hope that you enjoy it. Here's a gift, and I give it to you. You're not getting a gift from me. The gift is God. (laughs) But I say that here's this gift. What do you do with the gift? You take it, right? That's it. That's what we're talking about. And in this, there's that peace with receiving this gift because God, again, keeps it simple that the caveat of receiving it is believing in his name. We believe, we receive. I like Spurgeon's words on this. Faith I described as receiving Jesus. It is the empty cup placed under the flowing stream, the penniless hand held out for heavenly alms. And it's believe. He says, to those who believe in his name. That exact phrase, believe in his name, three times we see it here in chapter 2.23 and in 3.18. 2.23 and 3.18. And that believe in his name is not just believing in the name, but it's believing in what the name means. The Lord is salvation. That's what that belief is. It is to believe Jesus is the word. It is to believe Jesus is life. It is to believe Jesus is light. It is to believe Jesus Christ, Jesus is the son of God, period. That's the belief. Because we have to note something. James 2.19. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. The belief involves surrender. The belief involves entrusting yourself to Christ. It is belief. It is faith. It is confidence in who the Lord is. It's a belief that says, I stake everything about my eternal fate on Christ alone. Everything about me on Jesus Messiah alone. The belief that we see here, it's entrusting. It's surrender. It's something that the demons never do. So for you, what's the root of your I believe? Check that. We believe, we receive. And when that happens, we have the right to become children of God. We become children of God. Now, guess what? This was something for me. I was like, oh, wow, because sometimes you'll hear people say, oh, well, everybody, we're all God's children. We're not. We're all created by God. But when we believe and receive, then we are children of God. We are adopted to God's family then and only then. Saints, speak of him. Be a witness as John the Baptist was. Speak of what access he gives. Speak of what it is to truly be a child of God. Think about that. To truly be a child of God. To believe. To receive. Who were born, not of blood, verse 13, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, 
but of God. Now the gift of salvation is done through birth, but not of blood, not through family. Youth in the room, teens in the room, middle schoolers in the room. Get this. Just because you go to church with mom, dad, or whoever brought you doesn't mean that you're saved. It means that you came to church with whoever brought you. That's what it means. It does not mean that you are saved. You need to come to a place where you realize the state of your soul. You realize your worthlessness and depravity without Christ. And you surrender and have him take the driver's seat of your life. Last week, there was a blessing. We got to pray with a young man who was visiting, who's in high school, and he surrendered and made that choice. Jesus, take control. And it was a beautiful moment, but it's a moment that you have to make on your own. And church, what that means is you need to engage with the youth. Pray for the youth of this church. Share your testimonies with the youth of this church. Be the body of Christ and be the ones interceding on their behalf in prayer that they would come to know Christ, that they would be a generation standing for Jesus. How much do you pray for the youth and children of this church? Kick it up. Pray for them. Intercede for them. Then we see nor the will of the flesh. Guess what? No personal effort makes us have salvation. This is a tricky one in our culture because we have a battle where even after salvation, we want to do something. I like making things happen. I like doing. I want to do. No, God is sovereign, and in his sovereignty, he says you can't earn salvation. You can go somewhere. They may give you a nice checklist that, okay, I'm doing all these things. I'm so dutiful and diligent. Look at me. No, stop doing. You're diminishing the sovereignty of God. You're diminishing it is finished on the cross. He bore that cross for you and me that we could be saved and we can become children of God. We also see nor of the will of man can't be done by someone else. Back to the youth. Now we're going to talk to the youth parents, adults, family member that brought said youth here. You can't force them to be saved. You can't threaten them. You can't discipline them into salvation. You need to stop and pray. You need to surrender and pray that they can come to have that relationship because guess how it's done? But of God. Because it's God's gift. It's done through and by him. None of us, not me, none of that. By him. His word alone. Him alone. How we've been reminded as a body over the last few weeks, this is what we have to keep it focused on. You want to see that person saved? Pray for them. Put scripture before them. Speak of his goodness. Speak of the gift of salvation. Speak of being born again. It's a supernatural birth. It's different from the natural birth that we see. This is supernatural. Paul writes of this well in Titus. In Titus 3.5, we read, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. Because he does it. And regeneration in that verse, when you look at the meaning of that word there, it means birth and again. It's belief leading unto being born again through the agency of the Holy Spirit. That's a gift that can only come from Jesus Christ. 
Because he came for you and me. Verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is a powerful verse of faith. I've taken for granted, people can take for granted. Youth group, if we weren't in here, this would be the cliche verse for this Friday's youth night. For the youth nights, we do a cliche Bible verse. And what I mean with that is it's a verse you see in Christian culture, but we don't really actually think about it. We just see it, and it's like, word became flesh. That's a cool mug. I'm going to put that in the kitchen and have that. I'm so Christian. But it's, it's not actually digging into what comes before, what becomes after. Now, the word became flesh. This idea would stun Greeks, and it would also stun the Jews. In the context of the passage, because John established the word was God. So he's saying God becomes flesh. Now becoming flesh points not just to being a man, but coming into humanity. Vulnerable humanity. In John 4, 6, we see Jesus is weary. In 4, 7, we see him thirst. In 11.3, he groans within. In 11.35, he weeps. On the cross, in John 19, we see him thirst, die, and bleed. Nothing that we go through in this life, our Savior cannot relate and understand. Nothing. Don't think that. Teens, don't think that. There's, you can think, oh, well, he doesn't get social media or this or that. No, there's nothing you're going through that he can't relate to. And in this verse, we're moving from the talk of light versus dark to concrete Jesus as human. God from all eternity, yet joining himself to sinful humanity. It's the incarnation of Christ for you and me. He became, he took it on himself for you and me. Why does that stun the Greeks? Because they have a low view of God. They see gods as just superhumans. And for the Jews, they have such a high regard, they couldn't fathom God and man interacting in this way. The Gnostics would believe that pure deity could never unite with flesh because flesh is pure evil. Well, Gnostics, sorry, he came for you and me. He came, and not only did he come, but we see here, he dwelt among us. He dwelt. That's something we could, again, take for granted, always dig deeper. The Greek word there means tent, to pitch a tent. And it's calling back to the Old Testament and the tabernacle. If we look at Exodus 25, 8 and 9, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. According to all that I show you, that is, the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all its furnishings just so you shall make it. It's the depth of Christ dwelling. It's Emmanuel. God is with us. Christ dwelling. In his dwelling, he gives us access to be in his presence. And in his presence, his glory can be seen. Humanity is the tent that he takes the tabernacle was the center of Israel's camp. Jesus desires to be the center of theirs and our hearts. The tabernacle is a place where the law of Moses 
is preserved. Jesus is where the law is abolished and a new covenant of his blood comes. The tabernacle is a dwelling place of God. Through Jesus, we become his dwelling place, our hearts. The tabernacle is a place of revelation. Jesus reveals the word of God to us, as we saw last week. The tabernacle is where sacrifices were made. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for all. And as we'll see in 1 Corinthians through Paul, the church becomes his temple and our bodies are his temple. John says here, we beheld his glory. Only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Now in the Old Testament, glory was seen in the theophanies where there would be a splendor of divine manifestation of God's presence. Now John and the other disciples beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father. They beheld it. They were with him always, 24-7. They saw everything he did. And in John 20, with the resurrection and his coming and then the ascension, they would see the glory of God. And God's glory is seen in humiliation and suffering. The cross of Christ. That shows Jesus' glorification. Now, yes, there are many miracles that he did. I'm not taking away from that. But nothing gives the glory that God receives as the work of the cross. It's a message for our culture today. In a world that pervades with health and wealth, prosperity gospel, with name and claim it, with speak it into existence, all stuff that says you're God. All stuff that says the cross of Jesus Christ isn't enough. That's what that says. If that's the route you go down, that's what you're saying. You're saying, Jesus, you dying on the cross, not enough. I need to take the reins. I need to be God. It can't be like that. We can't do that. When we focus on self, he's never enough. He's never enough. And when we focus on self, we lose sight of his glory. The glory that they beheld. The glory that allows John to write what he does and how he writes in the beginning of the first epistle of 1 John 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. Notice the fellowship. It doesn't say that you may have fellowship with yourself and how great you are and your emotions and making things that you want to be come into existence. No, that you may have fellowship with us. And truly, what is the fellowship? With the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. The Word. Coming together around His Word. Think of Psalm 1 when we looked at that. Blessed is the man not walking, standing, and sitting in the world but in the counsel of the word of God, delighting in the word of God, meditating on it day and night, for he is enough to that man. For he is the only begotten 
of the Father. That word begotten, we'll see again in verse 18. We'll see it in chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. He's unique, one of a kind, because begotten is of. He is of God. He is equal to God. And this begotten of the Father is what? Full of grace and truth. God is grace and truth, for he is full of grace and truth. Grace is the gift of sending his son for salvation despite the hostile and rejecting world. Truth, because he is truth. The incarnation of Christ, him coming into humanity, what does it do? Silences the voices of anyone who tries to claim Jesus is not Messiah. It silences it. And when we look at Philippians 2, 5 through 8, this we're going to be looking at many times as we go through this gospel. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We're going to come to that many times as we work through this because that's our Savior. That's who we strive to run this race for in this life. That's the mind we strive to have. It's selfless. It's sacrificial. It's humble. It's Him. Verse 15. John bore witness of Him and cried out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. Love John's witness there. He was before me. In Luke 1.36, Luke 1.36, we see that John would be born before Jesus. He starts his ministry before Jesus. Yet he says Jesus is before him because he knows the eternal state of King Jesus. Speak of him. When John the Baptist speaks of him, he speaks truth alone. That's it. When you speak of him, do you speak truth alone? Do you speak of the pre-existence and eternal state of Jesus Christ who gave his life for you? Or do you speak of Jesus as he is in scripture? Or do you sometimes distort it for what you want to say? Do you speak of the one preferred before you? That you would walk in humility. That you would walk in humility and perspective of our King, who came and died for you and me. See also how John the Baptist goes here. It says he cried out, saying, and saints in the dark world that's around us today, do you cry out about Jesus who came for this world to be saved and reunited with him again? Now, I'm not saying you need to get a megaphone and go to downtown Chapel Hill or downtown wherever you are. If you choose to, sure. But what I am saying is, are you sharing? Is more energy spent being angry about what's going on in the world, being so the world is a mess, what do we do? Or are you actually sharing and witnessing of him? Verse 16, and of his fullness, we have all received and grace for grace. John the disciple speaks of receiving his fullness and grace 
for grace. Because for the Christian life, we have grace piled upon grace. There's no bottom limit to God's grace. What is his grace? It's unmerited favor of God. Salvation, justification, all he gives us on this journey of sanctification that we don't deserve and we do nothing for. God's grace, inexhaustible. God's grace, unlimited. So go out and live it up. No, that's not what you should then do. And youth, no, that's not what you do. Don't take God's grace for granted. Don't take his grace as an excuse to live sinfully or just live what you think is your best life because the best life is eternity with him. But don't take grace as an excuse. Go back to the idea of the gift. If someone gives you a gift, you receive the gift and you usually say thank you. And sometimes you might even write a thank you note. Think of it this way. The way that we live our lives is a thank you card to Jesus for his gift of grace. What's the penmanship of your thank you letter to Jesus today? What's the penmanship? What does it look like? What are the words that you're saying? If the word of God is the anchor, then it's your guide. You're going to hide it in your heart that you're not going to sin against him. And that grace that comes, that gift, you cherish it. You speak of him. You speak of the gift of his grace. You speak of the gift of forgiveness that we don't even deserve. You speak of the riches of grace and mercy shown on the pages of his word. You speak of the testimonies of his grace upon your life. And all that is then the light shining in that dark world. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Hebrews and Romans, great books to do a dive on grace and the law. Get in there sometime. Moses brings a law. He get, we get the first five books of the Bible from him. A huge blessing. With the incarnation of Christ, we get the full word of God. And we get the exhaustive character of God to his children. And we get to pray for more to become his children. Jesus shows he is the fulfillment of all that was typified in the law. It isn't now just enough to be Jewish. It isn't just following the letter of the law. As we see in John 3, it's about being born again. Jesus shows his place and authority in regard to the law, as we will see in this gospel. In chapter 5 and 9, he does two miracles, but guess what? He does them on the Sabbath. The law says you can't do that. But he shows he gives a different rest. Jesus becomes the satisfying manna in chapter 6. Jesus becomes the life-giving water in chapter 7. Jesus becomes the new shepherd in chapter 10. Jesus becomes the new vine in chapter 15. This gospel, saints, we are going to see who Jesus is and as such, who Jesus is over the law. Yet, then and now, many get shackled by religious tradition and fail to see spiritual truth. Jesus is the way Yet, they couldn't walk in it because they didn't see the spiritual truth. Jesus is the truth. Yet, they couldn't walk in it because they couldn't see the spiritual truth. Jesus is the life. Yet, they crucified him because of not seeing 
the spiritual truth. Moses gave the law, but grace and truth come through Christ. Speak of him, not tradition, not legalism, him. We are saved by grace and grace alone, not the law. Look at verse 13. There's nothing again we can do. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And it's a timeless truth. We saw in Psalm 2 this Wednesday, the nations raging and plotting against God in vanity. But it's human nature to rebel against God. And rebellion to God can come in many forms. Adding that you must wear a long skirt to be a Christian. Adding things to his word. That is rebellion to the grace that God gives. We're to just anchor in this alone. The rigid laws and regulations carry on no more. For there's a supply of grace and truth that comes from our Messiah. And that supply of grace and truth then sparks a fire within us. And that fire has us want to keep his word. That fire has us not want to deny his name. That fire has us say, I love you, Jesus. And an I love you to Jesus is obeying and keeping his word. That's how you say I love you to Jesus. You obey and keep his word. The closing verse for this portion of today's message and also really for the intro to this gospel. The prologue to the gospel of John is really these 18 verses. Verse 18. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten son who is in the bosom of the father. He has declared him. Paul writes of this same idea in 1 Timothy 1.17. Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Invisible. 1 Timothy 6.16. Who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son. It's the first time in the text of this we see the word Son. And it's the only begotten. John's hitting and bringing the point home. He's the Son of God. He is God. And he's in the bosom of the Father. In this introduction of this gospel, we get the summary of Christ's divine origin and the intimacy with God. He is God. He is God's begotten. And as we talked about on Wednesday in Psalm 2, that begotten is for a specific time and purpose. He's in the bosom of the Father. He's intimate with the Father, more intimate than we could ever imagine. That is Christ. Through Jesus, we get to see God. Jesus gives us life. Jesus reveals the truth. Jesus gives grace and truth. He has declared him. That's how that ends. He has declared him. Declared their exegesis to explain, unfold, lead. Jesus explains, unfolds truth, and leads us to God. We are saved by grace. We live by grace. We depend on grace. The grace is given through Christ alone. The life we live is through Christ alone. Our dependency needs to be on, guess what? Christ 
alone. And our adoption to be children of God is through Christ alone. Now, before we close and ponder a charge for the week, a question. Are you in the adopted family of God? Are you a child of God? You see, Jesus came for you. He came for me. Jesus is the true light. Jesus is wanting you to see him, believe, and receive his gift of grace. Grace that is endless. Grace that none of us deserve. And he graciously gives that grace that we can be saved and called children of God. What's holding you back? Is it pride? Is it doubt? Is it unbelief? Why keep rejecting when you can receive? And as we saw, can't make you receive. Can't make you make that decision, I'm all in. But we can pray. And we're going to actually pray right now, then we're going to finish this message. But we're going to take a minute right now to pray for anybody in this room who doesn't know the Lord. And also on your heart to pray for anyone that you know that doesn't know the Lord that they may come to know him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for you, Lord. And Father, we just take this moment to just pause before we finish this message, Lord, to just intercede for anyone in this room who doesn't know you, Jesus, who hasn't come to that place to say, I believe in Jesus. I need you as my Savior. I need you as the King of my life. Heavenly Father, we pray right now that as the churches, we are all praying that you would just remind that person to come, Lord, to come to you, to come to know you, Lord. They can talk to me after. They can talk to Pastor David. They can talk to Pastor Jeff. They can talk to someone, Lord. But don't let them leave this place without coming to know you as Messiah and King, Lord God. And Heavenly Father, as a church, we just take a moment right now. I think of our prayer list and so many people that don't know you on that list, Lord. By your stripes, we are healed. That's the sinful nature of a nation. And that's the healing that can come for our sin-sick souls that are diseased, but healed through the precious blood of Christ. So Lord, we think of those in our families who don't know you. We think of the people in our communities and our neighborhoods who don't know you, Lord. And we just pray that they would come to know you. Use us if you need to, Lord. Use other people, put someone on their path that they would come to know you, that they would come to say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, be my Messiah. So Lord, we thank you for giving us this chance to just pause and to just pray, Lord, for salvation for those who need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I know we don't usually pray till the end, but a reminder, sometimes you gotta just stop and pray. And salvation's important. Knowing that we know that we know that people know him is so important. So before we uh, close now, again, the title of this message, Speak of Him. Speak of Him in prayers to His throne, that souls would repent and be born again. Now, for those of you who believe, this chunk's for you. We're almost done. One, speak of Him, witness to yourself. Do a pulse check. Is his grace sufficient for you? 
Paul asked Jesus three times to remove the thorn in his flesh, and he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weaknesses. And ironically, that grace is endless. But check yourself. Are you humble enough to rest in his grace? Or are you trying to do it on your own? Are you trying to manifest, twist the word, whatever you want to do that doesn't just say, your grace is sufficient, Lord. Your way is sufficient. I can do this because you'll equip me. You'll strengthen me. Two, speak of him. Share the gospel. Share who Jesus is this week. Share what he's done in your life. A charge we're going to go to many times in this gospel. Challenge. Share your testimony with a brother or sister. Why would I do that? Well, you get to know each other, but two, it gives you practice so that when you're out in the world, you know how to share of what Christ has done in your life. That someone may come to know him. Speak scripture to each other to encourage one another. And last, speak of him in your thought life. What do I mean there? What are your thoughts? What's your life when no one else is around? What is going on there? Speak of him and put him, his word, worship, prayer to him at the center. Saints, my prayer is that we are a body who ponders who he is and speaks of who he is until he comes and takes us home. That's what we need to be. And that's going to be a sweet time. But until it comes, let's not just sit on our hands. Let's do the work, the work on ourselves, the work on our families, that we can be the believers and body of Christ that he needs, that we glorify the begotten son, creator, father, alpha, omega. Amen. We're going to close in prayer and you can have some fellowship time. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word, Lord. Thank you for this gospel, Father God. Thank you for truth, one truth. Thank you, Lord, that in our hands we can have 66 books that all point to you, that all guide us, that bring conviction that we can change, Lord. Lord, thank you for this word that you give us a salve to our souls, that we would write it on our hearts, Lord. Help us to be a body of believers that we're writing scripture more in our hearts, Lord, that we don't sin against you, that we remember your word when we are discouraged. And Lord, that we're a body of people who rest in your grace, a body of people who say your grace is sufficient. You will guide me. You will handle it all. Lord, help us to ponder these verses this week. Help us to chew on it, not just have it now, to ponder it even in this time of fellowship afterwards, Lord. Because what's it worth coming together if we're not talking about you pondering your word and praying for one another? Help us, Lord, to grow for your glory. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a beautiful afternoon.